For Nick Hoke, the flight started out like any other, kind of boring. I was in seat 12A on the left side of the aircraft. You just kind of settle into your pre-flight routine, get your podcast going. I had my headphones on. And then we eventually take off just around 5 or just after 5 o'clock. Nick's an architect in his 30s, and he was taking off from Portland, Oregon, to visit his girlfriend in California. And Nick said he travels pretty frequently. But this flight was a little different. Just a few minutes into the flight, maybe 7, 10 minutes, somewhere around in that area, all of a sudden hell breaks loose. A big boom in the back, a big pop, kind of like a mini... um, explosion followed like immediately by a rapid depressurization of the cabin which is like puncturing a co2 canister with this water vapor and all the oxygen's being sucked out so that kind of white cloud or mist comes rushing from the front of the plane kind of hits me in the face almost blew my hat off i grabbed that the plane kind of like shuddered and you could feel the wind of it, right? Yeah. Just getting sucked through the cabin. Nick spoke to our colleague Sylvia Foster Frau after last Friday's accident on an Alaska Airlines flight when one of the plane's panels blew out midair, leaving a gaping hole. At that point, someone stood up in the middle of the plane and said, there's a hole in the plane as he's pointing back. There's a hole in the plane. Oh, my God, there's a hole. Then the pilot radioed air traffic control and prepared for an emergency landing. Yes, we are emergency. We are depressurized. We do need to return back to. We have 177 passengers. We're 18-8. But sitting toward the back of the plane... Nick said the flight attendant's announcements were hard to hear over the air rushing through the cabin. Nick focused on breathing through his oxygen mask. He texted his girlfriend, I love you. There's kind of a lot going on and just just general disorientation of like not knowing what's happening. And that leads your mind to go to places of the worst case scenario. As the plane sped toward the tarmac, Nick braced for impact. But the landing was pretty smooth. People applauded, and then something totally surreal happened. The oddest thing is that we all deboarded like normal. It's like waiting for people to get off, you know, like 10, 12, 15 rows ahead of you. And it's like that same kind of like, when is it my turn to get off? We all got super lucky. And we can, in some ways, look back, and some people are going to be mentally and physically traumatized, but... Ultimately, we all came away with our lives. From the newsroom of the Washington Post, this is Post Reports. It's Wednesday, January 10th. I'm Arjun Singh, and I'm your guest host. Today, I speak with my colleague Ian Duncan, who covers transportation for the Post. He unpacks what we know so far about this terrifying flight and the questions it's raising about Boeing, the plane's manufacturer, and oversight of air travel in the U.S. (music) 
You know, for me personally, this was a really harrowing story to see because I myself was flying back from my aunt's house in Atlanta on Sunday. A lot of our colleagues here at The Post travel all the time, particularly this week. They're going to the Iowa caucuses. You know, there are people that travel weekly or monthly a lot. And I guess I'm just wondering what kind of a response did this trigger and particularly from Boeing, the manufacturer of the plane? So there's a whole system that kicks into gear when something like this happens. The government and the airlines and the whole industry obviously take something like this incredibly seriously. Alaska moved pretty quickly on Friday night to ground this particular model of plane. It's a Boeing 737 MAX 9. Um, And then uh, by Saturday, the FAA had issued an emergency order telling everyone who has this model of plane in this configuration to ground them and that they would need to do some inspections before the FAA would allow them back into the air. And so that affected uh, United Airlines as well, which has a big fleet of this particular model. Mm. The airlines obviously complied with that. Boeing jumps in to begin working out what needs to be done in terms of these inspections. And then somewhat separately, you have a whole investigative process um, involving the National Transportation Safety Board that kicks into place. They sent investigators out to Portland um, pretty much as quick as they could. And it will be their job to try and figure out exactly what the cause of this was uh, and potentially make any recommendations so that it can be avoided from ever happening again. The National Transportation Safety Board's team in Portland was led by the board's chairwoman, Jennifer Homedy, and she held a series of briefings to update the public on the investigations. We are very, very fortunate here that this didn't end up in something more tragic. The uh, aircraft was around 16,000 feet and only 10 minutes out from the airport when the door blew. Fortunately, they were not at cruise altitude of 30,000 or 35,000 feet. Think about what happens when you're in cruise. Everybody's up and walking. Folks don't have seatbelts on. Uh, They're going to uh, restrooms. The flight attendants are providing service to passengers. We could have ended up with something so much more tragic and really fortunate that that did not occur here. It sounds like some people were hurt enough that they had to go to the hospital. Um, They had been kind of medically cleared, is what Alaska said, by Saturday night. So uh, I think fortunately not particularly serious injuries. How much do we know exactly about what went wrong and where in the process of manufacturing or inspecting things seem to have maybe missed this error? How much do we know about that right now? We don't know a ton. It's still very early in the investigation. The NTSB has just kind of wrapped up the work that it's doing on the ground in Portland. They were able to find this door. It it fell to earth in a teacher's backyard just outside of 
Portland it was pretty much intact. So they've recovered that. I think that's going to be a key piece of evidence. What the investigators have said is they're trying to determine whether a set of bolts that are supposed to hold this thing in place, whether they were installed at all, whether they were installed properly. Um, and they said they won't be able to know that for sure until they get that door back to their lab in Washington where they can kind of put it under a microscopic investigation. I think another clue that we have is that United and Alaska did begin inspecting their fleets of these planes and said they found issues on some number of other aircraft as well. Um, United has described that as loose uh, hardware, which, you know, that so that initial evidence does point to something going wrong along the lines in the in the manufacturing of this plane. There's a company in Kansas called Spirit Aerosystems, mm-hmm. which manufactures the fuselage and so it installed this plug. But then Boeing obviously also does a lot of work on these planes at its factory in Washington State. Um, and so I think all of that is going to be part of the investigation. You know, so this is a Boeing plane, specifically a 737 MAX plane Boeing pretty recently has had issues before with manufacturing, right? Ian, you know, what else do we know about this particular kind of Boeing plane and other manufacturing problems that Boeing has experienced recently? Can you catch us up on that history? Sure. So there was a uh, an earlier model of the MAX, the MAX 8, that was involved in two deadly crashes overseas, uh, Indonesia and Ethiopia. That was 2018 and 2019. And that fleet was grounded worldwide for almost two years. And that was, you know, 346 people died in those crashes. It was just a huge blow to the reputation of Boeing and to the Federal Aviation Administration, which is responsible for certifying that new designs of plane are safe. And so Boeing had to redesign some systems on those planes before they would be allowed to go back up into the air. That happened, um, and they had been flying largely without incident um, for the past several years. But what started to crop up in the past year was a number of kind of manufacturing quality issues There were some uh, mistrial holes and a problem with how the fuselages fit onto the tail fin of the plane. And the FAA said those weren't immediate safety concerns, but they sort of point to problems in the supply chain, in the manufacturing process for these planes. More recently, there was discovery of a loose bolt on a piece of the rudder system for the plane, which again just points to another problem potentially in in the manufacturing mm-hmm. process and and none of those previous issues had led to a serious safety problem but in the context of what happened friday it's something that is under a lot of scrutiny now so after these two crashes took place what were the consequences boeing had to deal with so the immediate consequence after the second crash was that the planes were grounded worldwide. This was their new flagship model of aircraft. This was a huge kind of economic blow to Boeing. There was a kind of automated system on the plane that was implicated in the crashes, and they had to go through a process of redesigning that and change how it worked so that 
it, it wouldn't create a similar kind of problem. Again, there were criminal investigations um, into what Boeing had done in the design of this plane and, and how it had dealt with regulators. And they ultimately and, and had to settle with the Justice Department. More broadly, it really, really damaged the reputation of this company that you know, is one of the country's most important manufacturers. And they had to get rid of their CEO and really go on a process of trying to rebuild trust and, and confidence. You know, in Boeing, you know, it's a huge company. It seems, at least whenever I go flying, almost always my plane is a Boeing plane. How widespread are Boeing planes in commercial airlines right now? I mean, absolutely widespread. That Your impression is, is totally right. I mean, there are basically only two manufacturers of airliners of this size, you know, the big kind of mainline airliners, and that's Boeing and then Airbus, the European company. And they're really only the two choices. They kind of compete with one another to, to sell planes to airlines, uh, but there isn't a third or fourth option. Like you might have, you know, if you're chopping to buy a car or something like that. So what has Boeing's response been to all of this? And what have they had to say about this issue that happened? Boeing is working with the National Transportation Safety Board on its investigation. So they're involved in that process. And then Boeing held a meeting with its CEO on Tuesday at the 737 factory in, in Washington State, just outside Seattle. And David Calhoun, who's the CEO of Boeing, said that they were going to approach this with transparency and that it would involve acknowledging their mistake. I got kids, I got grandkids, and so do you. This stuff matters. Everything matters. Every detail matters. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. This isn't a lecture, not by any stretch. It's nothing more than a reminder of the seriousness with which we have to approach our work. He was kind of careful not to put blame onto the company, but it's clear that they recognize that they have work to do here to kind of restore confidence in their planes. Is there any reason to believe that this could be a more widespread issue across Boeing as a manufacturer rather than this specific line of planes, given the information and facts we know now? I think it's really difficult to say, you know, if this is a systemic problem. I think it's pretty troubling that United and Alaska both say that they have found issues with this part that does raise some concerns that, that this is more widespread. But I think, you know, on the other hand, you kind of have to remember that overall flying remains incredibly safe. And Jennifer Homendy, who's the chair of the National Transportation Safety Board, she is not shy about calling out safety problems. But on the other hand, she will also try to remind people that flying is incredibly safe. We have the safest aviation system in the world. It is incredibly safe. We are the global gold standard for safety around the world. But we have to maintain that standard. But it's also understandable why people might be worried. After the break, we dig into the broader questions this flight raised amongst the airline industry and regulators. We'll be right back. 
What are kind of the regulations around something like this when a manufacturing problem takes place with a commercial airliner? Is there a threshold where regulators really feel that they need to aggressively step in and ground a model of plane? Or I guess, what is that process that you had alluded to earlier that gets us from the initial problem to the decision to ground to eventually, hopefully, having these planes be up to code and safe to fly again? So when there is a specific identifiable issue with an aircraft, the FAA can issue something called an airworthiness directive. And that is a a bulletin that goes out to everyone who is operating these planes in the United States. And then it tends to be copied by aviation regulators overseas as well. Sometimes it's a matter of inspect these particular planes where we think that there might be an issue. And, And in this case, they use something called an emergency airworthiness directive which is allows them to move very quickly and they they did ground the plane and then the FAA has a whole other set of processes to kind of oversee the manufacturing and the design of the aircraft and that is where after the previous crashes involving the MAX that the FAA came in for a lot of criticism. They rely on Boeing employees to do a lot of that safety work on their behalf. And there was a real concern that there was a conflict of interest there, that the FAA just hadn't done enough Mm -hmm. to kind of review the design and understand all the possible interactions on the plane that was implicated in, in what caused the crashes. And so they have been trying to tighten that oversight up over the past several years. Congress changed the law to give the FAA a little bit more power. And they're in the process of doing that. They've taken a number of steps. um, But it's something that's sort of still underway. Yeah. I mean, Ian, it does sound like the process of review and everything that should be taking place after an accident like this happens is happening But does it also raise broader issues within the airline industry or amongst elected officials that there needs to be more oversight or more caution that happens, whether in the manufacturing side of things or on the regulatory side of things? Or is it raising any questions like that? I think it's probably too early for those kinds of conversations. Um, I think Congress is primed to watch Boeing in particular and the FAA pretty closely. I mean, I think they learned after those previous crashes that that they need to be involved, that they potentially need to make policy changes. But I think until we know more about exactly what went wrong and, and can pinpoint where in the process the, the problem that led to this piece coming off arose, it's going to be difficult for anyone to kind of step in with any credibility and say this X, Y and Z thing need to be changed. I think there are absolutely more questions for Boeing about how much they had changed uh, since these previous MAX crashes. I think we're going to be continuing to follow the National Transportation Safety Board's investigation. It's likely to be at least a year before we get the kind of final definitive answer on on what happened here. And then, um, you know, the next thing that I think we're likely to see is that these inspections get completed and the airlines and Boeing and the FAA start to be confident that these planes can safely get back up in the air and we will start to see see that too. 
You know, Ian, as you're reporting on this story and you're thinking about this, is there anything about this moment that has been particularly revelatory for you or that, you, you know, you've just felt like you need to bring up with all the other transportation reporters when you guys have your happy hour? And yeah, I mean, what what has really stood out to you from all of this? I think the thing that kind of stands out is, you know, you can cover this stuff for a while and still be kind of surprised by what can go wrong. Um, and so, you know, when you're on a plane, these plugs, you can really barely tell that they're there. And so the idea that this is a part of the side of the plane that can just fall off um, was definitely not something that I was expecting to see at all. Uh, and it's just kind of wild. Yeah. You know, Ian, I and a, one of our producers, we're going to be taking a flight for work in, in a couple weeks. And you know, it's hard to not feel a little bit of anxiety seeing something like this and then hearing about manufacturing issues. These are scary sounding terms, I think. But I want to ask you as someone who is very smartly watching this industry, what would you say to someone like me right now who feels a little nervous about flying? I think, you know, it's understandable that you feel nervous. Um, I would say that the overwhelming likelihood is that you're going to have a perfectly safe and comfortable flight. You know, the other piece of this is that the system is designed to have redundancies. So, you know, yes, this part came flying off this plane. You had incredibly skilled pilots who were able to safely get this plane down to the ground. I mean, when you listen to them talking to the air traffic control, like the, the kind of calm that they have as they're dealing with this emergency is just kind of amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and you have flight attendants too, who you sort of deal with them as people who are handing out food and drinks and getting to you to, you to your seat, but they're also sort of trained in emergency response too, and they're designed to help keep passengers safe. So absolutely you don't want to be on a flight where something like this happens but there are sort of other levels of protection and that passenger that you heard from earlier who was on this flight said that they would have confidence in um, getting back on an airline flight i don't know i felt felt like lightning doesn't strike in the same place twice kind of thing i think it's like a super safe mode of transportation um i think we just got super unlucky like we got super unlucky and of like that happening to us and then super lucky that we were able to survive it. And I think you can look at the, the track record in recent years that really should give people a pretty good level of confidence that they're going to get to where they're going safely. Well, Ian, thank you for your kind words. I take you at your word that it will be safe. I don't know if it will always be comfortable since me and flying don't always get along on that front. But thank you for all your coverage on this issue and joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Ian Duncan covers transportation for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Emma Talkoff with help from Sabby Robinson. It was mixed by Rennie Svernowski and edited by Monica Campbell. Thanks to Sylvia Foster-Frau and Sandia Somoshaker. The recording of the air traffic controller and the Alaska Airlines pilot was provided by LiveATC.net. And remember to check out our morning podcast, The 7. If you don't already listen, look it up now and hit follow. 
we run down the seven most important and interesting stories you need to know, all in under seven minutes, right around 7 a.m. I'm Arjun Singh, your guest host. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.